Good morning, my name is Andrew Forrest, I'm the pastor of this congregation, and we're continuing this morning a sermon series we're calling Echo, and we're looking at what are some of the essential basic beliefs of the Christian faith. We're using something called the Apostles' Creed, part of which we just heard narrated in the video. Now the Apostles' Creed is not the Bible, but it's like a summary or a syllabus of the essential beliefs of the Christian faith, and it ha- the, the Creed has roots way back in the second century in Rome. And to today we, today we come to this phrase, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Now there's a word in there that's really strange, that's probably given a lot of you puzzle over the weeks that we've been talking about this. What is it? Wrong. It's the word Holy. The word Catholic is an easy word to explain, which I'll do in a second, but it's the word holy that causes me to stay up at night and worry. The word Catholic is just an old-fashioned word that means pertaining to the whole. It's part of the whole. So this church meeting here in this place on Dallas, Texas this morning is part of the Catholic church, the same church that's meeting in China, the same church that was meeting in Egypt, the same church that was meeting at Antioch 2,000 years ago. Catholic just means as of or pertaining to the whole. So therefore, it's Appropriate not to call the church in Rome that's headquartered, uh, headed by the Pope the Catholic Church. It's more accurate to call it the Roman Catholic Church. It's the part of the Catholic Church that's headquartered in Rome. So Catholic is not a hard word to explain. I just explained it to you. But the word holy. Now, now really think about that. I believe in the holy Catholic Church. Doesn't that strike you as strange? We're being asked to put our belief in something that we can see is often so far from holy. In 1954, the Supreme Court famously ruled in Brown versus the Board of Education that segregated schools, so-called separate but equal facilities, are unconstitutional and illegal. Well, of course, although today maybe it seems hard to believe, and though, of course, we still have lots of racism in our society, today it seems hard to believe that there were states that fought against that decision. In fact, it, were, it was true, including my home state, the Commonwealth of Virginia. And near the second half of the 1950s, in the late 50s, there was a program that was started called Massive Resistance, started by Senator Harry Byrd, a very powerful senator uh, from Virginia. And massive resistance was the idea that the state was going to do everything it could to fight against segregation, to fight against integration, rather, to keep segregated schools. And one of the ways that they went about doing it is they shut down the public schools in some places and started what they called segregation academies, almost like private schools or maybe even, although it's, an, uh, it's a term that wasn't used at the time, like a charter school. And these segregation academies were for the white students to attend a school, whereas the black students weren't welcome at any school at all. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is because in the late 50s in Virginia, churches got involved with massive resistance, including my own church, the United Methodist Church. And there was a proposal put forward at the end of the 1950s at one of our annual meetings, which is called Annual Conference, that said we should allow our churches to open themselves up to host segregation academies. Let's allow our church property to be used as a segregation academy. Now this this was put forward at a church meeting. This wasn't 300 years ago. This was 60 years ago. And yet the line in the creed is, I believe in the holy Catholic church. Now the reason some of you haven't been in church in a long time 
It's because you were part of a church or maybe you saw people who were part of a church and the church seems anything but holy and you said, I don't want to have anything to do with that. You know, and even in the last uh, two years, this church is just two years old, this congregation. We celebrated our two-year birthday last week. There's been a lot of people that have come and gone, and I think part of the reason is they came here expecting something holy, and they got us. <laughs> and they said, oh, I'm, I'm not part of that. I mean, it makes sense in the creed, I think, to say, I believe, as the first line says, I believe in God the Father Almighty. That makes sense. And in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. And then, because we're a Trinitarian faith, I believe in the Holy Spirit. But to pers- profess belief in the church and to call it holy, of all the things we've talked about in the creed, I think, frankly, this should be the one that's most difficult for us f- to believe. Now, maybe you're here today and you have a lot of intellectual questions about the faith, about creation and evolution, about the virgin birth about is it really possible that somebody actually rose from the dead? Those are all legitimate questions. But I actually don't think for most of us, they're the ultimate stumbling block to faith. For most of us, do you know what the stumbling block to faith is? It's the church. It's the Christians. I mean, after all, if Jesus is so great, why is the church such a mess? Have you ever wondered that? This morning we have this great passage from the very earliest days of the church, right after the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out on these early Christian believers. And then we're told that they met together and they shared what they had in common and they cared for those who had need and every day God was adding to their number. And of course you can see if the church was existing like that, if we were known for our generosity and our fellowship and our hospitality, you can see how the church would be irresistible. And yet the truth is, often, we're very far from that. How, how can we profess faith in the church? It's an institution, isn't it? Now, I need to be very careful in how I say this, because this is not meant to be a partisan comment, but in the last presidential debate, one of the candidates said in his closing statement, I believe America is the hope of the world. And I'm not picking on that particular candidate because I can believe in our current political system that the other candidate would have said something similar. But I believe America is the hope of the world. There's a lot of things I don't know about, but I can tell you that's not true because America is filled up with people, just like the church. And to put your faith in a human institution seems crazy to me. I don't care if that's the University of Texas at Austin. I don't care if it's the Dallas Cowboys. I don't care if it's the United States of America. I don't care if it's the Red Cross or some hospital system. To put your faith in some kind of human institution is idolatry. And it's foolish because it's not going to live up to it. So what can it possibly mean to say, I believe in the church. I believe in the holy Catholic church. What can that possibly mean? And maybe you're here today and, and you're thinking, I'm just this close to giving up on the church. If I hear one more statement like that, if I see one more action like that, that's it. I'm ready to give it up. And maybe you're here today and you're a part of Munger and you think, you know, I was excited about this church when it started, but man, it's disappointed me. In fact, one of the things I think we could all agree with today is that the church is often disappointing. 
What does that mean for us, and what does the scriptures have to say about it? Well, I'd like to first draw your attention to the previous line in the creed, which we talked about last week. I believe in the Holy Spirit, that's how the third section of the creed goes, and in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints. I believe in the Holy Spirit, and therefore I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, etc. The first thing I think we're going to have to come to grips with when it me- about what it means to believe in the church is to mean that it doesn't call us to profess faith in the human institution and our budgets and our books and our weekly services and our light bills. It's not that to which we're called to believe. We're called to believe in the Holy Catholic Church as God's instrument. Only because we first believe in the Holy Spirit can we believe in the Holy Catholic Church. See, see, what if, what if in fact no human institution is the hope of the world? But what if the church at its heart is not a human institution? What if the church is God's particular gift to the world? Or put it another way, what if this special idea that Christ has been risen from the dead What if that special idea requires a special body to carry it? And that body is the church. Then it would seem to me that it makes sense for us to say we believe in the church. Not we believe in what happens on any particular Sunday morning or what happens at any particular church meeting or through any particular sermon. But we believe in the church because we believe in the Holy Spirit which has never abandoned the church. In fact, the church is God's gift to the world. It's his precious creation. Or to use some New Testament language, the church is like the bride of Christ. Something that is precious for which the Lord died. I gotta tell you, I could get behind that. I could believe in that. See, what happens way back in the first earliest days of the church is that God gave the Holy Spirit to the church. And because the Holy Spirit was present, that is why the church was able to do what Luke tells us happens in Acts chapter 2. This is verse 42. These earliest Christians, after the Holy Spirit had been given to them, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. And daily, it sums up, people were joining the church and being saved. What would it look like if this congregation, this part of the Catholic church, what would it look like if we were that kind of community? Now I've been thinking about this and I've spent a lot of time up late working through this and I've come to this conclusion. The problem with Munger and the reason that we are not living into this sort of community is you. No offense. (laughs) See, the problem with the church is that it's filled with people. Have you ever realized that? But boy, are we quick to judge other people by their actions and ourselves by our intentions. Amen? I'm an expert at that. 
See, one of the problems with the church is that the church is always somebody else, somewhere else, something else. For many of us, the problem with the church is that we always consider ourselves on the sideline and we're casting judgment at the others. What if the church is everybody who's here this morning? What if everybody who puts their faith in Christ is part of the church? So what's stopping us from living into this kind of New Testament, Acts chapter 2, vision of what the church can be? Maybe the first question needs to be, what's stopping me? I mean, there are several characteristics here that Luke gives us about the early church. One is, they met regularly and heard the apostles' teaching and for prayer. Worship was a regular part of what it means to be a Christian. So it's really easy to criticize the church, but unless you were involved in weekly worship, whether you're sick or out of town, whether you feel like it or not, whether the time changes or not, whether it's raining that day or whether it's sunny that day, whether the parking is difficult or not, whether your kids are giving you a problem or not, one of the things it means to be part of the church that's God's gift to the world is to show up regularly for weekly worship. I... I have a lot of problems, but I can tell you, I am here every week. (laughs) Almost every week. (laughs) Amen, sister. Maybe the first thing that God is calling us to is just to be present. See, what if your presence is something that the rest of us need? I don't quite understand how God works, but somehow the work of God is like a beautiful mosaic, and each of us is a little gem that completes the picture. But it's more than that. It's more than that than what it means to be the church. We meet regularly and we, and we, for worship, and we're devoted to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. What are you doing to grow spiritually? I bet in your jobs... You have a personal growth plan of some sort. I bet in your finances you have some sort of plan. You probably have some sort of workout plan that you're not doing, some sort of diet you're not keeping. What about for prayer? What's your plan? Do you have a little devotional book that you read? Do you have a certain way of reading through the Gospels? If you don't have a plan for prayer, then how are you and I going to pray? See, church is not just what happens once every week on a Sunday morning, even if all of us are present. What is described here in Acts chapter 2 is happening during the week. They're meeting for prayer. They're passionate about the apostles' teaching, about the good news of Jesus. If we are the church in this place, if we are part of the Catholic church, then it's up to us to carry the good news of Jesus to the world and to be passionate about it and be praying for it. But it's even more than that. There's this radical verse here. This is verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. The early church was marked by generosity. One of the things I find so fascinating about the church, as I know it, is how so many of us are quick to criticize others when so few of us are actually demonstrating a commitment to generosity. It's easy to criticize, but that requires commitment. In fact, can I just push you a little bit here? 
what if the way we even think about our possessions is backwards according to the scriptures? See, the way it works for a lot of us is like this. We have three buckets. And our first bucket is what we get to spend. And if your family is anything like mine, you never have enough in this bucket. It goes pretty fast. That's the spending bucket. And then maybe we save a little bit, particularly if we're forced to through some kind of retirement plan at our work. We save a little bit. And then we have a little bit left over in the third bucket and we give like to the church or somewhere else when we feel like it. But what if, in fact, one of the marks of the church, when the church is being faithful, is to do it the exact opposite way? They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They considered what they had to be a gift from God, not their own, to use as they wanted, but to use to further the healing of a broken world. What if, in fact, we did it backwards? (laughs) What if in 2013... You made a commitment to say, off the very top, I'm making a commitment to give, no matter what. And this applies to everybody in here today. If you have some kind of income coming in, whether it's very little or whether it's a lot, whether you're able to budget it out or whether you live on some kind of commission, still you can make a commitment to, right off the top, make a commitment to give, a commitment to generosity. And then with what's left, what if you said, I'm going to make a commitment to save. Saving is prudent. It's planning for the future. There's a lot of scripture that supports that. And then finally, what if you said, I'm just going to live on the rest? Rather than saying, I'm going to spend, save a little, and whatever is left over, if there's anything, I'm going to give. What if we said, I'm going to give, save, and live on the rest? I don't know a whole lot about money, but I know this. A lot of people are in financial difficulty not because they don't have enough coming in every month. Imagine what God can do in your life and give you a sense of peace with your finances if you made a commitment to generosity first, giving second, and spending third. See, it's so easy to criticize the church. The church is is just about money. The church just wants me to give. The church is greedy. The thing is, I never hear the people who are giving who say that. The people who often are most uncomfortable when it comes to the church talking about money are those who don't give anything anyway. Again, it's easy to judge others by their actions and ourselves by our intentions. See, we're we're supposed to profess belief in the holy Catholic church, and yet so many of us say the church is such a disappointment. But we're the part, we are the church. The church is not some other institution somewhere else. We are part of the church. So unless we're ready to face up to our own failings and failures and greed and racism, we're going to continue to be a disappointment. But see, if we respond in faithfulness to the gift of the Holy Spirit, I think the very end of this verse is, this passage is inevitable. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I don't think the problem with most people in East Dallas who don't attend church or are having brunch down here at Henderson Avenue this morning or doing something else, I don't think the problem with most of them is an intellectual problem. I think the problem for most of them is the church has been such a disappointment. But I can tell you, 
if we began to claim what it means to be the church in the New Testament, Acts chapter two sense, God could do great things through the few of us who are here this morning. See, what if the church is not just the human institution? What if it's God's work of the Holy Spirit through us? We've talked about this image before, but I find it very helpful. Imagine a vineyard and all the trellises lined up in rows and the vines weaving over them, growing the grapes. Often what you and I do is we focus on the trellis instead of the vine. And what if the trellis is, is, is just the human parts of the church, the, the weekly business meetings, the short-sightedness, the closed-mindedness? What if that's just the trellis, but what if we're missing all the time the life of the vine? Jesus says, I'm the true vine, and you are the branches. And it makes sense that from time to time the, the trellis may need to be replaced or reformed or, or repainted. But the vine is where the life is. Or maybe, let me put it another way. Because it's hard to even separate sometimes the work of the vine, the work of the spirit with the human institution. What if the church is like a tree? And there's a bark around the outside of the tree, but in the midst of the tree is where the life and the sap is. It comes right up from the roots. What if what so many of us get disappointed with is just the bark of the tree, which may have a disease in this place or be chipped in this place or be injured? But what if the bark is necessary to keep the tree growing and the bark is not where the life is. The life is in the center from the root. I'd suggest that that's the way we could think about the church. See, what if... What if God is working in this place in spite of us? I can honestly tell you it's pretty clear he's working in spite of me most days. And he's working in spite of you. What if God is actually using us in this place, this part of the Holy Catholic Church, to redeem the world? What if through us marriages really are being strengthened and lost people really are being found? What if for us and through us the hopeless are given hope and the despairing are giving a new tomorrow and the lonely are brought into a new sense of fellowship. Even in our imperfect, halting, disappointing ways, I see that happening here in this place. This is why it's possible to believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints. Because it is not a human institution. It's not our idea. The church is God's gift to the world. It contains the hope of the world. That is the message of Jesus Christ. The reason I'm aware of these segregation academies, particularly in one part of Virginia, is because my granddaddy, Robert Forrest, was a pastor in the Methodist Church in Virginia in the 1950s. And he gave us a little book when we were little kids that talked about some of his memories. And one of his memories was standing up in the late 50s on the floor of our annual conference and speaking out against the proposed plan for segregation. And my dad was telling me he didn't realize till later that even my grandmother didn't support my grandfather in that. And it is so easy, a place of remove, to think about what we would do in those situations. It requires a lot of courage to stand up in front of hundreds of people 
and to stand up for what's right regardless of what names they call you. Do you know why I believe in the church? Because I've met people like my grandfather who has gone to be with the Lord who despite all their own failings and flaws allowed the Holy Spirit to work through them. Can you think of an institution that has been more disappointing, has gone through more betrayal than the church? From the very center of Jesus' disciples, he was betrayed. Peter denied him. From this great passage in Acts chapter 2 where they're all meeting of one accord, very soon after that the church begins to split and splinter. Through all the crusades and the persecutions and the sex scandals and the greed... The church is stronger and larger today in the year 2000 than it was in the year 30. The only possible explanation for it could be that what Jesus said is true. I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. The reason I believe in the church is because I've met Christian people who are discipled in the church, who exercise generosity, who spoke up for what's right. The reason I believe in the church It's because I can't see anything that can prevail against it. No matter what we do, we can't kill it. Because it's not ours to kill. It's a gift from God, a work of the Holy Spirit. When we say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, we are saying that we believe that the one hope this world has is the message of Jesus Christ And the body that carries that message is the church. Rather than being irrelevant or some sort of human institutions, the church is the most important thing that's happening on this little planet. And my prayer for us in this part of the Catholic church called Munger Place is that the communion of the saints, my grandfather, all the people that have gone before us, would be able to look down at us and our small, insignificant actions and see God at work redeeming the world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may God make it so. Amen. I'd like to invite you to stand up. And we're going to profess our faith, not just in the church, but in the God who created the church. And what we're going to say together today is the same thing that Christians have been saying for centuries, that great cloud of witnesses. And maybe that you don't understand all these phrases, that you can't sign up to all these phrases, you're not on board with all of them. (laughs) You're not asked to do that. All you're asked is just to trust that God's at work and that these words actually mean something. In fact, we believe that the reason this is called the Apostles' Creed is because This goes all the way back to the teaching of the apostles, which we read about in Acts chapter 2. So church, let's say together, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, 
the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.